Lord Jesus, we do thank you for what's been a wonderful morning already. We thank you for the, the great breakfast and time we had earlier, and we thank you, Lord, for the music that we have sung, and God, that what we just heard lifted up to you. And Father, as we look into your word, I pray our hearts will be attentive and our minds alert and our wills ready to do whatever you would have us to do. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. How many of you wish you knew the future? Eh, not, not a lot. How many of you wish you knew already who's going to win the football game today? Well, you'd be very rich if you already knew that, wouldn't you? None of you would gamble, but God whispered about 3.30 who was going to win. You'd, uh, you'd be interested. Financially, you know, are you, uh, you concerned about your financial future, the economy Still pretty shady. You know, we do want to know what lies ahead to some extent. I think most of us are smart enough to know that if we really knew everything that laid ahead, we would probably be pretty miserable here or unhappy maybe of, uh, of what might be happening five, ten years from now. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about what potentially lies ahead for our church. I'm going to do something I've really never done on a Sunday morning. I want to lay out uh, God's thoughts about the church and our potential vision for the future. And you say, well, maybe I'm not a member of this church. Well, you can become a member today. We will let you. We would love for you to. Or maybe you're here and you go, well, I'm not even a Christian at this point. Or I'm not sure I where, I, where I am with God. Why does the sermon about a church matter? Well, I, I think in a moment you will see that, that the church matters tremendously to Jesus Christ. Therefore, it should play into your life and to my life. And what the church does is how the world goes most of the time. So let's take a few minutes this morning and look at what God says about the church and about our church and about our future. And the first thing we need to answer is, what is a church? What is a church? Hey, choir, I'm not used to y'all being behind me. Behave yourself. Scott, if Reggie goes to sleep, you and Gary elbow him. Snoring does bother me if it's at close range during the sermon. In the New Testament, the, the biblical word church literally means called out ones, ones who have been called out. It was the word ecclesia, which was used for, for secular or even governmental groups that were called out for a specific reason. And a church is a group of people called out who belong to God. In theologians, when they talk about the church, you may hear them use two terms. One is the universal church which is describing the church of all ages, Christians everywhere, people that are members of a church in Dallas, Texas, as well as our church, we're members of the church of Jesus Christ. That is a, a theme in the Bible, but out of the 115 times the word church is used in the New Testament, 90 to 100, well, well, well past the majority, it's talking about a local group of believers who meet, meet together. Before you ever say you hate organized religion, organized religion was God's idea from the beginning. You read the Old Testament, they met together in organized religion to worship God and to serve God. The church is, yes, it's organized religion, but it should be a whole lot more and a lot better than just a group of organized people. But most of the time when the Bible talks about the church, it is talking about what we're doing here this morning and groups like us, local congregations. But the Bible describes the church in much more vivid terms than just a local group of people of organized religion. 
It describes it in two beautiful ways. One, it describes it as the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, now I'm going to use a lot of scriptures this morning. You're welcome to play Bible uh, chase with me and try to find them or just go write them down if you're taking notes and uh, look them up later or follow me on the screen. It says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. One way, in fact, the primary way the Bible talks about the church of Jesus Christ, us here today, is we are the body of Christ. It also says that we are the bride of Christ. And Revelation, and, and that's kind of a strange analogy, but it says that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. Okay? Now, let me give you two thoughts on that. First, the church is pretty precious to Jesus Christ. You agree with me? I mean, he says it is his body. How many of you would agree your body is precious to you? If you don't think so, let me hit your little finger with a hammer right after church, and you will realize, I didn't ask you if you liked your body. I've never met a woman who liked their body. I don't particularly like what I see in the mirror either. I can relate, but my body matters to me. My bride matters to me. When you talk about the church and people can be so critical and so negative, let me, let me encourage you to back off. Not that churches are perfect because there's no perfect church out there. And if you ever find it, don't join it or you'll run it. <laughs> Correct? I couldn't be its pastor. I'd run it. There's no perfect church this side of heaven. But the church is described by Jesus as his body and his bride. That makes it matter. Amen? Makes it matter. And and as his body, folks, the primary analogy, we are his hands and feet. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. When the Bible talks about Jesus Christ being the head, it talks about us being his body. And individuals, we are parts of that body. We make up his body. We are his hands and his ears. Some of you may be a big toe, but you need a big toe, correct? You need a little toe. I broke a big toe and I broke a little toe. And I promise you, you realize how much they matter to your body when they are hurting very badly. See, the church, the church has been goofy. The churches throughout history have made a ton of mistakes. But make no mistake about this, the church to Jesus Christ is precious. It's his body, it's his bride, it's his hands and feet to the world. And that includes us this morning. Now, here's the second question. What is a church to do? Churches do a lot of things. A lot of those things probably aren't on target. A lot of them aren't right. Some of you are disgusted or frustrated with church because what you've seen them do or what you've seen them not do. So I want us to try to answer the question, what does God say that a church should do? What should a church be about? Well, I'm going to sum it up real easily. A church ought to do what Christ did and what Christ told us to do. Think about this with me. If we're his body and he's the head, shouldn't we do what he did? Write this down. John 6, 38, Jesus gave one of his three purpose statements in John 6, 38. He said, I left heaven to come to earth to do the will of my Father. This church is to do the will of God here on this earth. We are to do what Christ did And what Christ told us to do. We are his hands and feet. We are his body. What did Christ do? 
what should the church do if we do what Christ did? Obviously, in the next two hours of this sermon, I can't lay everything out to you. You'll be home by Super Bowl kickoff, we promise. But what I can do is I can give you the fundamentals of what God wants His church to be about and what He wants this church to be about. In Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, beautiful verses. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The the Jewish religious leaders were arguing. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament. These goofballs sat around and debated all the time what was the greatest, what was the greatest. They thought they'd cornered Jesus, and they said, Okay, teacher, tell us what's the greatest. They debated whether it was the laws of the Sabbath. Was it clean in your hands 14 times for you ate? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And notice he didn't stop at one. I think that's so significant. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. See, I know a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that, that uh, talk about how they love God. They just don't like people. You ever know anybody like that? We love God. We just hate people. That's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. He just, he said, guys, it's not one, it's two. In verse 40, he says, everything, all the law and the prophets hang on, not on one of these, but two, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What does Jesus want your life in this church to be about? Man, he wants us to love Jesus Christ. He wants us to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to love people. You know, when it says love people as you love yourself, you know what that means? You'll love them a whole bunch. Most of us, we may have a self-esteem problem, but part of our problem is we love ourselves way too much. Or value ourselves above everybody and everything else. He said, love people like you love yourself. It's interesting, in another one of Jesus' purpose statements in Mark 10, Jesus said, I left heaven to come to earth to serve people. And you see, in, in that one word, love, you wrap up so much. One, that's worshiping God, Wayne. That's singing to Him. That's lifting up His name. And when you love people, everything goes with that of ministering to them and caring for them and serving them and being there for them when someone dies, being for, there with them when they're in the hospital, being there for them when their marriage falls apart, being there for them when they're dying. Everything that we do as far as worship and taking care of people can be summed up in that one word, love. Jesus left this church here, folks, to love God and to love people, but that's not the only thing. In Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, here's Jesus' parting words. This is what he said before he went back to heaven. Now, folks, I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't make any mistakes here on this earth. And, And the last thing he told them and gave to us before he went to heaven had to be some of the most important things he was ever going to say. Here's what he said. You go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Kyle, go back to verse 19. Make disciples. People get confused about that. What does that mean? Well, he, he says make disciples and baptize them. A disciple was a learner. It was a follower. But the very first thing it was was a convert. 
In the first part of that great commission, Jesus Christ was saying, go and win people to me. Folks, you don't disciple lost people. You just teach them Bible facts. You don't, uh, you, you don't train somebody for the military who's not in the army. The first command for the Christian in the church is to win the lost. Statisticians give us some really pretty creepy stats. Did you know in America, they say three out of four Americans are non-Christian. Doesn't mean they don't profess to be a Christian. But that America is a country 75% of people who are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. America is the fourth largest lost country. We have the fourth largest number of lost people in the world. In the United States, on any given Sunday, about 21% of Americans are in church. 79 don't make it. Mike Benefield, a former education minister, did a pretty exhaustive survey of Ruston about 10 years ago. You know what he found? About 20 to 25% of Ruston is in church every week. You wouldn't have bet that, would you? I mean, there's 400 churches. They gotta, everybody's got to be in church. It's just not the case. It's even worse when you get out worldwide. Worldwide, they estimate that 89% of people on our globe are not Christians. And 50% of the people born today may never get a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In America, there's 300, and and this changes a lot. You'll see why more in a moment. But 320,000 churches, give or take 5,000, 320,000 churches, half of those churches last year did not see one person come to Christ in their congregation. Who's going to win the world to Christ if the church does it? Who's going to win your child to Christ? I hope you do. But you know what? It sure helps having a church backing you up all the way. It sure helps having a Sunday school teacher for six years tell them about Jesus. It sure helps having a youth minister that's going to love them and tell them about Jesus Christ. One of the primary purposes of the church of Christ is to win the lost to Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He said, teach them everything that I've taught you, that means to grow them up in Jesus Christ. Folks, did you know the goal of discipleship is not to make you smarter about the Bible, it's to make you look more like Jesus? Did you get that? It is not to win an argument, it's to be nicer and kinder. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know those things, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I know more and I'm meaner. Well, you're not growing in the right right way, brother or sister. In Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus again touches on this in verse 11 and 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. Just hold that there a second, Kyle. Apostles, some people say that the gift of apostle went out at the end of the first century. I don't necessarily believe that. Apostle means someone who is sent. I believe an apostle in our day and age could be a missionary. Prophet is often described as a preacher. Some to be an evangelist. What is an evangelist here? This is, a, this is not individually winning people to Christ as much as it is a person, a preacher who has the gift of preaching and being able to draw the net to bring people to Christ. Billy Graham would come to mind when you thought about an evangelist. Some to be pastors and teachers. In verse 12, to prepare God's people. It's interesting, that word prepare was a medical term that meant like to, to set or fix a broken bone. It means part of, part of my job is to, to help correct you. You like that, don't you? 
for the works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. That Greek word built up, Greek phrase, means two things. It means the process of strengthening or it can mean to develop a new creation. What he's talking about here, he's talking about the church in two forms. Universal church, I believe, and the local church. But you see what he's saying? He's saying the church... The church is to be winning them, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets. The church is to be building them up, the teachers and the preachers. So that in the passage goes on that we may be unified, that we may be one, and that we may be like Jesus Christ. Very simply, folks, you can sum up the purpose of the church in three words. And that's to love and to win and to grow. You've heard me mention these over the last few years, but I believe this has got to be our target in the days ahead. You can bring Christianity as well as the church's mission to three words, and if you do these three words, you're going to be a winner. If you mess on any of these three words, you're missing on what God's left you here. That's to love God and to love people, to win them to Christ and to grow them up in Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to tell you, if we do that as a church, we're hitting the ball out of the park. You're doing that as a Christian, you're hitting the ball out of the park. You decide, well, I want to win them and grow them. I just don't like people enough to love them. You're failing. I want to love them and I want to grow them. I just don't want to win them. You're failing. If we love and we win but we don't grow, we're not going to have anybody to, to probably to win in, the, in 20 years. Pretty simple. Not easy, but pretty simple. And I want to ask you one more question this morning. What does the future hold for our church here? What does the future hold for our church? And I want to tell you something that's kind of scary. Really, it depends on us. Depends on us. You say, wait a second, doesn't it depend on God? God's willing to do His part. How many of you believe that? The day we believe God's not willing to do His part, we need to sell this building to somebody else because it's over years ago I was preaching at a church in Tennessee I was a guest preacher about 30 or 40 there on Sunday morning I preached I guess they heard I was coming the crowd was low and after the service one of the leaders in the church said well we were hoping to have a bigger crowd today but I guess if God would have wanted them here he'd have brought them here hmm. boy that's an excuse isn't it Sermon would have been better if God would have wanted it to be. Maybe I need to pray and study more. God's willing to do His part. Folks, in America, 4,000 churches are started every year. 4,000 new churches, 7,000 close every year. Part of that is just the way it's going to be because we're moving in a different generation. 200 years ago, you needed a church within about a mile of most people because they walked. Now to have a church on every corner is not really efficient. People will drive 15, 30 minutes sometimes to church. But still, that's pretty scary, isn't it? 4,000 started, 7,000 closed. Attendance in America and church. Listen to this. In America and church, the last few years, attendance has been dropping at 13% across the board. I'm happy to tell you, praise God, that that's not happening here. But I tell you, it can happen. 
See, what's happened is churches have gone to sleep. They forgot their purposes. They forgot that they exist to lift Jesus Christ up and love him. They forgot they exist to love people. It's too hard to win people to Christ, so we just make excuses and we don't want to do it. It's somebody else's job. And to grow up and to be like Christ is hard work too, so we just become more religious. And if we do that, I want to tell you, this time, nine or ten years from now, this church may not be near as full when we have a big Sunday. But I tell you this too, if we decide to be who God left us here to be, He's got great plans for our future. I believe that with all my heart. Cindy and I were meeting years ago with a church in Houston. This is before I'd ever heard of Rustin. And they were talking to me about being their pastor, and they asked me one thing, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I said, I don't like to run in place very long. I want to move forward. God's not called the church to run in place. Maybe a church on the Alaskan coastline that's a village of 100 that runs 30 that this time 10 years from now may be running 31 and they're being successful. We're not in Houston, Texas. We're we're not going to be running 20,000 in 10 years unless something really weird happens in Ruston. But God wants us taking new ground. Back in October, I decided I need to get away for a little while and talk to God. I was going to stay at home And my wife was real smart. She said, you need to get away. So I went over to Monroe. (laughs) I'm not real smart. And I stayed near the paper mill. And that made me really love Rustin. But I got away for a few days, and I just sat in a hotel by myself. And I started by saying, God, just talk to me. What do you want to happen in this church in the days ahead? And I thought, I believe God gave me some thoughts. I began to write them down, type them down. And after two days, I came home and I continued to pray about them. And then I I, I met with my ministers. We meet weekly and I began to lay these things out to my ministry team. And over the course of two months of them talking, I, I tell you this morning, everything I'm fixing to share with you, they're on board 100%. We have a vision team. And just so I won't forget anybody, I've written their names down. It's been meeting about a year and a half. Bobby Reagan, Tony Corley, Kim Stanley, Heather Yates, the brain of the Yates family, Carrie Alsop, Melissa Weigel, Scott Hill, Mark Murphy, and Glenn Tice. Jeff P. Rowe and Larry have been meeting with us. Larry Blunt to, as architects to help us. And I laid these thoughts out to them, and I said, pray about these things. Let's pray about these things. Let's bring a vision to the church in the days ahead. So I gave it to them. We talked about things. We discussed things. We reshaped things. And I want to lay out to you some things that are coming with the unanimous consent from me and the, the ministers and the vision team that I know, obviously, these things in the days ahead will be approved or, or disapproved by the church body. Some of them involve money. So that always takes church approval, moaning and groaning and praying, correct? But I want to share with you some goals that we believe, where we believe God wants us to be by the end of 2020. I want you to see these as pictures of where hopefully on December 2020, we've either met these goals or we have blown them away. 
And I'm going I'm to start with just some numerical goals. You say, well, why numerical goals? Well, numbers count because numbers are people and people count. We hope and we pray and we believe by 2020 that we'll be running 1,100 in our Sunday morning worships. Last three Sundays before this Sunday, we, we had close to 800 each Sunday. That's a challenge, but it's a very obtainable challenge. 800 in connection groups. To baptize at least 560 in our local ministries. To have a, a satellite church or a mission point ministering to an area of need here in Ruston. To give at least $2.5 million in total missions giving locally and internationally over the next nine years. To have nine years where we take up more money than we spend. Amen? At least 27 mission trips outside of Ruston. And at least 400 people completing the discipleship program, A Call to Joy, a wonderful seven-week discipleship program. I'm also going to challenge the church every year, hopefully beginning this year, but at least every year the next nine years, that we give the city of Ruston at least 800 hours of free labor. Maybe you take off a week, maybe you take off a few days, but if we can give the city of Ruston 800 hours of free labor, that'd be like giving them an individual for 20 hours or 20 weeks of free labor. We can bless our city that way, folks. But we also have some facility goals. Now, facilities are tools. And, and you don't build to, to build. You, you build to meet needs and to take care of needs. Let me share with you some facility goals. I got my little pointer here. Kyle, show us that first slide. Can you in the choir? You in the choir can't see that, can you? We are, we are right here right now. Some of you are sleeping right in this section. I'm here. That's me by the A. There's the gym, the current children's building. You, you, you got a picture of where you are. We hope and pray by... 2020, that we will have a new children's and preschool building in place. Kyle, let's look at that slide. Well, let's look at the next. There we go. Okay. Now, folks, there's the current Walters building, current sanctuary. There's the gym. If we go in phases, this would be phase one. That has a 10,000 square foot footprint. That means the first floor is 10,000 square feet. We know we need to build at least two floors. That is taking out that current old white building and leaving and closing in and having the gym and the chapel. That's about a $3.2 million building. We would be real happy to name that. <laughs> the Scott Leachman Children's Building. And for $2 million, we will do it. Scott is getting nervous. You know what Jeff Foxworthy said? I can write you a check. Now, folks, the goal, and what's wonderful, we couldn't show it all to you, but we're going to have a covered drive-thru there on Louisiana. Of course, we have a covered drive-thru here. And this will, this will all be connected where you can walk right out of the sanctuary into the children's preschool building. Our goal is with the old Walters building is to remodel it for... Uh, young adult Sunday school classes, so they'll be very close to the new children's building. Phase two, all these would be connected. The new children's building, 
We're going to move the chapel, the goal is, down by the street to make it much easier for funerals, weddings. It'll be a bigger chapel. I think the square footage of the chapel is about 2,800 square foot. This would be the kitchen and shower space. We currently don't have showers. This would allow us to feed more people, to house people during emergencies. And a new gym, the gym would be about 7,400 square feet, as you can see. Uh, In the final phase, they would all be tied together. And again, you would be able to walk from this building to that building without ever leaving the facility. About 6465000 million. Again, we'd be happy to name that the... uh, the Emmett Gibbs building and facility for, uh, for four million there, Emmett. A little financial humor, which you need. What do you say? Well, I don't have a kid. I, I don't have a grandkid that's even going to be in that building. You may have a great grandkid. I love an old Greek proverb that says, Wise people plant trees, they may never sit under its shade. Wise people plant trees, they'll never sit under its shade. If we do those things, it'll be one for a couple of reasons. We believe that we need to, and we believe it's the will of God. And our goal would be to have those paid off or close to being paid off by December 20th, by the end of December 2020. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Makes me nervous, but it excites me. Bill Hybels is a, is a preacher in Chicago. He's a guy that, that I really like think he hits the nail on the head 98% of the time. And one of the things Bill Hybel says often, he says the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the body of Jesus Christ. It's his hands and feet. It's the hope of the world. And I say amen to that. But the question this morning is, is will we fulfill our hope in Ruston in this world or will we sit on our hands and nine years from now, be running in place. God's challenge is, is that we take up the cross and follow Him as a church. Will you bow your heads with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, I would just ask you to search your heart this morning. What's God saying to you? If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, would you, right where you're seated, would you just pray with me and say, Jesus, today, I give you my life. I want to turn from my sins, believing you're the Son of God, I ask you to save me this morning. Let me have your attention just for a second. Maybe today you prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. Would you come today? I know it might be hard to get out, but but it'd be worth it. Slip out. Come down. Talk to a minister. Make peace with God this morning if you never have. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. I hope I've effectively laid out what we believe our church wants to be about. Loving you, trying to help you and your family come to Christ, and to help you grow up in Christ. Come join our church this morning. 
One way you can do it is by coming in just a second. But I want to ask all you Christians here, too, the third thing, who are members. I want you to think about a few things. First of all, are you helping our church fulfill its mission? Many of you are, and I say amen to you. And I ask you, keep your hand to the plow. Maybe you want to come this morning and pray with a minister or pray at the altar that God will blow the doors off our church and glorifying Him and touching people and touching people. Maybe you are a member and you're on the sidelines. You're not causing trouble. You're just on the sidelines. For whatever reason, you're not serving, you're not giving, you don't come as you once did or that you should. Get off the sidelines and get in the game. And I'm going to throw out a hardball. Maybe... Maybe you've been in the way. Maybe you've, you've not only not been supportive, maybe you've been on the other side of it. Man, let's burn that bridge this morning. This is his body and his bride. I'm asking you to do everything you can, Christian, to help us fulfill our mission here on this earth. Let's stand, and as we sing, You come, you respond to Christ this morning.